Hello, everyone. It's great to see you. Uh, it's good to be together. Uh, we're going to carry on today looking at the I Am Statements of Jesus. We've been looking through those over a number of weeks now, and we've reached maybe the most famous of all of them. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You've, you'd have heard that many times, I'm sure. Um, it's the sort of thing that people put on posters and have hanging in their rooms, and a reminder of something of, of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, but of course, there's more to it than just the verse on its own. And what we want to do today is really look at the context of this verse. What's happening around these uh, this statement of Jesus? What's happening with his friends, his disciples, his followers? What, what's going on in their lives that they would ask a question that would give this response from Jesus? The I am, of course, is that ancient term that God used for himself when he revealed himself to people in the Old Testament. He said to Moses, I am that I am. It's a, a statement that has no external references to it. It's, he is completely self-contained. He doesn't refer to anything else or anyone else uh, in terms of who God is. And Jesus now is giving a bit more content, a bit more uh, expanding that idea of who he is. Of course, that's what Jesus came to do, to show us who God is. So when Jesus says, I am, he's saying, God is. This is who God is. This is an explanation of what, what God is or what Jesus has come to do and helps us to understand more of what it means to follow him. So we're going to follow the story around this statement uh, this morning, just looking at what was happening um, and looking at what we can learn from it. So let me start by reading uh, just the verse in front of this statement of Jesus in John 14. So I'm going to start reading there at verse 5. Thomas said to him, to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, the disciples, very helpfully for us, often ask questions of Jesus. And they often ask kind of obvious questions. Quite often, actually, it's, it's Peter doing it. Um, but we should be really pleased that they do, because it means we get a bit more insight uh, into the things that Jesus was talking about. I don't know if you've ever been... Uh, to the cinema, have you ever maybe watched a film at home with someone who keeps stopping and saying, what, what's that person doing there? Or what's happening now? And that can be a little bit irritating, but often we're grateful because someone has had the courage to ask the question that nobody else was bold enough to ask. And in asking the question, we learn more. And that's what the disciples are doing right here. They're, they're quizzing Jesus. They haven't grasped everything yet. And so they're asking Maybe obvious questions, but they're bold and their boldness um, and their humility in asking. And Jesus' gracious response means we do get more insights into what Jesus has come to do. Actually, we should never be afraid of asking questions of God. We really shouldn't. I think sometimes we can feel as if, oh, how could I possibly ask this kind of question? But we should be, we, we should never feel that way. God is gracious and kind. Uh, he's not. Uh, he's not thrown by our questions. In fact, Jesus never, uh, it seems, uh, an honest uh, question asked of Jesus gets a response. And sometimes I'm, I'm honestly surprised 
when I see Jesus graciously responding to his disciples and others, thinking, wow, you, you answered it, Jesus. Uh, but he really cared and was interesting and, and, and is now care, uh, caring and interested in our, in our questions. So please don't be afraid to ask questions of God. He can cope with us and with our questioning. So we find ourselves here in these verses uh, in the midst of a conversation. And that conversation is part of the context of what Jesus is about to say. And the context for us is uh, not just a conversation, but it's a whole week of events in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And the church has come to know this week as Holy Week. This is the last week before Jesus is tried and then uh, convicted and crucified. Um, of course, at the end of the week, he's going to rise to life, uh, which is why we're talking about this at all. Um, but this is the week that we're in. And this week begins with um, what the Bible kind of gives us a heading, the triumphal entry, or Palm Sunday, we might know it as. And this is an incredible moment for Jesus and for his disciples. Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. For the disciples, this is, this is the peak. This is the moment they've been waiting for. They've been hoping that Jesus would lead this revolution. And now what they have is Jesus... Uh, the king riding a donkey, riding in humility yet into Jerusalem. And the crowds are adoring him. They're laying their cloaks before him. When they kind of run out of cloaks, they cut down palm branches and they're laying them before him. It's, it's a wonderful moment. It's revolution time as far as disciples are, are understanding it. Um, you know, the Pharisees hate it. They're like, they, they say, actually, they say the whole world has come out to see him. Um, so they're, they're alarmed. The disciples are, are, are thrilled. Um, they think, of course, and we know this because of further things that they go on to say, um, they think it's uh, Jesus is going to throw out the Romans and restore the kind of the Davidic, like David, kingly rule to Jerusalem. There's this great king in their history that kind of pushed back the borders of Israel and won great victories for the nation. That's what they're hoping for. Um, and Jesus is trying to explain to them uh, throughout his ministry, it's, it's so much more than that. I think I've, I've thought before, they thought what they were after was like a national revolution. That's what they were hoping for. What they didn't understand, that what Jesus had come to do was international. It was kind of cosmic in its scope, so much bigger than they imagined. And during this week, um, as the events unfold, and we'll look at the other events in a moment, um, it just seems to go so wrong for the disciples' hopes. And yet in the midst of it seeming to go wrong, the hopes for all of us are born. Because the next thing that happens after this triumphal entry, this glorious entry into Jerusalem, this Palm Sunday moment, um, is Jesus is in the temple throwing out the moneylenders. He's, he's causing an uprising. And I guess the disciples think, okay, fair enough. Maybe this is part of the same the same sort of thing. And we know that story too, that Jesus uh, goes into the temple courts, which would have been full of people. And he what he finds there is he finds people ripping off the common people who are coming to worship. They are literally stealing from them. Uh, you'd have to change your money when you came into the temple and you had to buy uh, animals to, for your sacrifice. Um, and those who are doing that are ripping off the people. And Jesus says, you've turned what should have been a house of prayer for the nations 
into a den of thieves. And he literally violently throws them out and causes a great uproar. Okay, so that's that's Monday. Um, so the week continues, and that was probably shocking for some of the disciples and maybe a bit worrying, but it's going to get much worse for these poor disciples because not, it's not long before he starts to tell them that his heart is troubled. Jesus actually says that. He says, oh, my, my heart is troubled. He knows what's coming. He knows the events uh, of the next days are coming towards him. He knows that he's going to face the cross. He's going to face death. Um, and so he tells them his heart is troubled. And the disciples by now are, are beginning to think, is, is it all unraveling, all that we'd hoped for? Or we'd left our homes and families to follow this man. And is it coming apart at the seams? And then, of course, towards the end of the week, we reach uh, the Passover, the Last Supper, this last meal before Jesus was going to be crucified that he had with his disciples. And during that meal, um, Jesus says a couple of things that are very, very upsetting. He says, one of you is going to betray me. He says that to his closest friends. And then he also says, and one of you, and he's looking at Peter at this point, one of you is going to deny you even know me. It just looks as if everything's coming to pieces. And, and he says, uh, finally, in the midst of all of this, he says, oh, and I'm going away. And at least for now, you can't follow me. And so that the week begins with this, what looks like the revolution for the common man and ends with being told, oh, I'm, I'm leaving and you can't come with me, at least for now. So you can imagine the disciples are full of questions. It's upsetting, it's disturbing. And it's into this context that these discussions that Jesus is having with his disciples are, that's the context, that's where we find them. And we need to put them there in their rightful place. We need to understand that Jesus has this glorious plan in the midst of confusion for the disciples. And as much as he's tried to explain things to them, they haven't understood it. They don't have a paradigm to grasp what it's going to mean for them in the future. And yet Jesus is having to lead them. The events of these days and the following days are coming whether they like it or not. And so he's leading them through. Of course, Jesus is not just speaking to them. He's speaking to us as well. So the things that he says and the explanations he gives are not just for the immediate hearers, but they spill down through the ages and they speak to us as well and, and, and probably add to the confusion uh, for those disciples. He knows, Jesus, what is happening. Now, what's amazing is that in the midst of knowing what's coming, he knows that he's going to have to take on um, death itself. He doesn't just have to face uh, kind of the, the religious um, elites, those Pharisees, which he does have to, um, and uh, neither does he just have to take on that kind of casual disregard for life of the Romans who are going to finally crucify him, but he's going to be separated from his father for the first time in all of eternity. He will be separated from his father. And we know why. We know why, um, because it means that we will never be separated from the father which is what part of this statement, part of what he's saying is, this is the way. I'm opening the way to the Father. That's, what he's, that's part of the answer to what it means to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But what it means is, for this period, the way for him is going to be closed to the Father. He knows he's facing this. In the midst of all this, 
the, he, he takes time to comfort his disciples. I think it's part of his glorious, gracious nature that he would say these words. Just before the verse that we read at the start, he says this. He says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be with me. You know the way to the place I am going. And then uh, the next verse is where we started. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? But that's the context. Jesus is comforting his disciples in the midst of all that's just happened. So what is the answer? You see, in those verses we just read, what is the answer to the troubled hearts of the disciples? What does he give as a response? Well, two things that we need to look at. The first thing is he says is believe. He says believe. Uh, believe, you believe in God. That was established. They were, they were good Jewish boys, as it were. They believed in God. He says, now, believe also in me. Um, and we might think, well, hang on, isn't that a bit out there? Don't we need something a bit more tangible, Jesus? All these events are happening, these troubled events. Now, please tell us more or give us something more. And Jesus just says, don't believe. Um, let me try and help uh, with, a, with an illustration of what it means to believe. Um, another way we could look at this phrase believe would be bank on it. Jesus, we could say, is saying, bank on me. Um, uh, a few years ago, I got one of these newfangled phones, which uh, which let me pay without use of cash or card. You may you may have one. I think they, the watches now do it as well. Um, and I remember the first time I, I used it. Um, I remember uh, hearing about this thing that it would work. Um, I think I'd probably seen on YouTube that uh, it could work. I'd definitely spoken to the bank and set it up so that it could work. Um, but I had to actually literally bank on it working. I had to go to a till and get the phone out and try it. I had to believe that it worked. I had to bank on it working. And so the disciples are being told, believe in me. Put your trust, your hope in me, like I had to in that illustration, in that moment. I had to put my trust in something that I hadn't done before. And as it happens, it worked, and it usually works absolutely fine. But putting our trust in Jesus is so much deeper in terms of our decision-making, in terms of um, how we organise ourselves, what we do with our time and our money, where we put our hopes for the future. Jesus is saying, believe in me. I'm the way somewhere. I'm going to take you somewhere. And we'll look into the where he's taking them in a moment. So these questions are asking, uh, these, these disciples are asking the question, you, you, you're going away, where are you going? Where is it that you're going? And he starts by saying, believe. And now he says, I'm going to my father's house. That's what he says. That's part of the answer to their disturbed hearts, to their troubled minds. Jesus says, I'm going to my father's house and ultimately you're going to come with me. He's saying, I'm going home. You're going to come safe home to be with me. Let's be clear. The answer to the disciples' confusion and trouble is this, a promise of safe home. Um, now, 
that phrase safe home has changed even in the last few weeks in our understanding. We've heard it a thousand times from the government and from everyone, haven't we? Every Between every few adverts on the TV, it seems, we're being told stay home, stay safe. Uh, we've heard the phrase, haven't we? You're not stuck at home, you're, you're safe at home. It's kind of changed in its meaning even over the last few weeks. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, there is a safe home for you and I'm opening the way so that you can come to be with me, so that you can be with me forever where I am going. Let's think about home a little bit more and let's think about it in the context of that first century Palestine. Because for those um, early believers, those disciples, home was very much the center of the community. Uh, But it was more than just the center of community and family life. It was where order and provision came from in many ways. It was focused there. And unlike our experience of life now, business and commerce was also centered in the home. Everything came out from there. The extended family would most likely be living there or very close to their children were, were, were apprenticed in the business of the family or in the family business in the home. Life emanated out of the home. And so to leave the home like these disciples had done was a huge deal. It wasn't kind of, well, where should we go when we're 18? You know, where are we going to go and live? Um, And then Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And it's all very simple. No, it was a big deal to give up everything and follow Jesus. Much bigger than it would have been maybe for us to leave home. And so to hear Jesus is going somewhere else, is is it even bigger? Hang on, we've, we've left that home, that kind of secure environment to follow you, Jesus. And now you're going away to another home. Okay, how do we get there? And that's why Thomas asked the question, how do we get there? It's an obvious question, really, isn't it? And let's read that verse again. Thomas said to him, we don't know where that is. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And of course, this is where we started. Jesus is saying, I am the way home. I'm the way home. He says it to them and through scripture, he's saying it to us right now. I'm the way home. I'm the way to find your safety. I'm the way so that you can be safe home. Now, sounds good. It does have extra meaning for us in the middle of the crisis we're in. But you could argue, oh, that's... That Jesus, that is also a bit enigmatic. What does it really mean? But let me try and help you with this. Um, when I met Cheryl first, it wasn't long before I realised, do you know what? I don't actually care where we live because home is where she is. That's, that's where I want to be. I want to be with her. I don't really mind where we live, but I do want to be with her. That's home. And it has been for nearly 25 years now and it's absolutely true I, I i don't mind now really where we live but i want to be with her that's the biggest deal um of course sadly the opposite can be also true so that a beautiful a beautiful house can be a, a horrid home because the relationships don't work and we know uh, sad stories of that being true disciples have been learning this of course about jesus this this center of jewish life outside the temple was home And just as we've been learning the profound importance of being home, Jesus is saying to them, 
To be home is to be with me, is to be in the presence of God and for God to be with you. Um, yeah, we, we've learned something of that in these last weeks, and Jesus is teaching his disciples that. Here's the truth. Here's the truth of Scripture. Here's the truth of these verses. You can't really be home in the sense, in the truest sense of God wanting you to be without knowing Jesus. Jesus, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the way home. I am the truth, that, that home should be the centre of truth, the centre of life. All that emanates from there. He's saying, that's, it's in me. I'm the way. I'm the way to find that true home that we many of us long for in our hearts. So I've travelled a lot over the years, often with church, to some very far-flung places. And sometimes those they're wonderful experiences, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for them. But sometimes it gets a bit hairy when you're, far away from home and it's 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 it's, it's very strange to uh to, to me where i am and what's happening and the food and the sights and the sounds and the smells sometimes it doesn't feel very secure but knowing that i have a home to go to knowing that i have somewhere that uh, where my family is somewhere somewhere of truth and safety somewhere of life that i can head back to is a great comfort for me even in the midst of those adventures and travels it always has been and Jesus is saying something of that yeah life is difficult and in the midst of this week of Jesus's life and his disciples lives wow life's got very difficult but there is a safe home for you and I'm securing it for you forever so no matter what will befall you are going to be safe home with the father and with me it's a wonderful promise it's a promise that's going to last these disciples through the events of the next 30 plus years of their lives and more for some of them. They're going to need to know it doesn't matter about this immediate moment because I've been promised a home. I've been promised a home in Jesus' Father's house. What a glorious prospect. What a wonderful safe home he is offering them. So out of the confusion and trouble, Jesus, what does he do? He offers himself. The answer to their misunderstanding is an anxiety. It's not a better understanding. It's not a. It's not like, well, you need to learn a bunch of stuff. It's not a clearer perspective. It's not a higher philosophy. It's a relationship and a belief that that relationship is the foundation of everything else. So as we draw to a close, let me just say this. A home that Jesus is offering, it doesn't just happen. And we know that from our own experiences of, of our homes. We know the challenges of family life and what it takes to build a home. And it's considerable. And, and goodness, in this crisis we've been in, that's been more true than ever, I expect. We've had to find ways of, of being together uh, that we normally, and, and had to cope with, with, with kind of being in close proximity. And that's taken a lot of hard work. But Jesus is offering us and preparing for us a home without troubled minds or cold hearts, a home without bitterness or confusion. He's offering his father's house to you and to me. He's saying, come home, be with me. He's preparing that place for us. And he's saying, it's, it's through me that you find your way there. The cross, of course, is the, is the central battleground where he's going to win the day. 
that ability to call us safe home is one on the cross. He's separated from his father so that we can be welcomed into the father's presence. He's dealing with everything that would stop us getting in. He's giving us the keys that have been entrusted to him for eternal life. He's taking the debt that would keep us out and drawing us close to him. There's a very famous story that Jesus told, a, a parable that we all know, the parable of the lost son. And in that parable, uh, he is not found really until he's home. It's until he's welcomed into the home again by the father that the story reaches its conclusion. Let me just read you a few verses. It's found in Luke 15. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's begin to celebrate. And it's the celebration happening in the father's house. And he is calling us just like... Jesus does in these verses to be with him where he is. The invitation is open right now. Like the disciples would learn, and we are now learning, um, let that confusion and fear all fall away and be welcomed into the Father's house. Maybe for some of you, it's time to run home. It's time to receive that invitation uh, from Jesus. He's saying, come home with me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Come and understand what that means right now. Maybe you could pray something like that son in the parable prayed. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I don't feel worthy. I've not made myself worthy, but I appeal to your grace and goodness. Come and receive me, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to uh, celebrate communion together right now. And uh, we do that um, because it reminds us of what happened at the end of this of this holy week, that Jesus' body uh, was broken. And so we take bread and we break it. And we remind ourselves of the broken body of Jesus. And we, we don't just break the bread, but we eat it. We say, yeah, Jesus, uh, you are the way and the truth and the life, and I need to be part of you. And so we eat the bread. Let's do that together. And then we take wine together and we recognize this is representative of Jesus' blood shed for us. It's good to look at it sometimes. We're supposed to see these things. It's a visual reminder of what Jesus did. It's tangible, it's real. And his blood was shed to forgive our sins, the things that keep us out of the Father's house. Jesus came and shed his blood so that we would be welcomed into the Father's house. And so we, again, like we ate bread, we drink wine as a reminder that he is part of us and we are part of him. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he's come to show us the way to you, that we can be welcomed into your home, welcomed safe home because of Jesus' broken body and shed blood. 
We thank you, Jesus, that the glorious truth is that that wasn't the end of the story, that you broke the bonds of death and gloriously rose to life. And you invite us as a living, redeemed, restored, resurrected Jesus. You invite us into the Father's house with great joy. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for many, even right now, who would enter for the first time into your home. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.